0: Good morning. We are continuing in our series of Old Testament character studies this morning. And today we will be looking at Josiah. He came to power as king of Judah at a time when major events were happening in the land. But we're going to read a very personal story. It has to do with Josiah's decisions of how and whether he would follow the Lord. So turn, please, to Second Chronicles chapter 34. Before we actually get talking about Josiah, let's get a little background first. Josiah's grandfather was Manasseh. You may remember him. We studied him a couple weeks ago. He was a very evil king. He encouraged the nation of Judah to do more sin, God says, than the nations that had been in the land before them. And he himself did many, many sins. Uh, He practiced witchcraft. He worshiped idols. He offered his children to idols. And it was during his reign that God finally said, Enough is enough. And that judgment was coming. At some time, the nation of Israel would be taken out of the land. He said in Second Kings, I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish. The nation would be removed. Judgment was coming. Now Manasseh repented. And he turned back to the Lord in his last years. But when he died, his son, Ammon, took the throne and he turned right back around, started worshiping idols, serving them, doing just what his father had done. But he died, Ammon died, after only two years. And his son, who's Josiah, took the throne, but Josiah was only eight years old. And you've got to think that Josiah's childhood would have been rather difficult he's growing up he has very few good examples he probably had a few people who served the Lord but not very many the vast majority of the people at this time had turned to idols they had forsaken the Lord they were serving gods that satisfied their own uh, own flesh their own pleasures doing whatever they wanted but when he was 16 years old he began to seek the Lord. And it wasn't half-hearted. We'll see from what we read. Let's read uh, chapter 34, verses 3 and 4. For in the eighth year of his reign, that's Josiah, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. They broke down the altars of the baals in his presence and the incense altars, which were above them. He cut down and the wooden images, the carved images and the molded images. He broke in pieces and made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Now, Josiah is going quite a bit farther than a lot of the kings before him. There were kings who had served the Lord before him and some had taken the idols out of the land, but most had not gone this far. I like the word in verse 3, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem. He's cleansing them, getting rid of everything that's there. And then verse 4, the steps that he goes through, starting halfway through. The molded images, he broke in pieces, number one, made dust of them, number two, and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed it to them, number three. By the time he's done with these things, they are history. There is no way you're ever going to use them for anything. But let's not get trapped here into one point of view. Let's make sure we consider everything. Why do we have to get rid of these things completely? Wouldn't it be okay just to set them aside? I mean, they may have some value later. We don't know. Put them in some storehouse somewhere. We're not going to be using them. And of course not. These idols are an encouragement to sin. We need to get rid of them. But I think we do the same thing with sin in our lives sometimes. Deep down in my heart, God has put his finger on something, and I really don't want to get rid of it. So there's some object associated with it, just like these idols here. And I don't want to remove the possibility of going back to it. So, God wouldn't want me to completely get rid of it. He wouldn't want me to throw it out completely, or it's just too much. I can't do that. I can't take that step. So, I put it up somewhere where I won't see it again, where I'll I'll never look at it, never think about it, but you know that never happens. The attitude I should really have about sin is this. What is the most complete way I can possibly think of to get rid of it and then just do it? There's not a lot of things that we do that with in our society. Most of the things that we deal with have some value, so we want to keep them around in some way. There was one thing I was able to think of though that we want to destroy, termites. Because they can totally destroy a house. If I go home and I find I have termites in my house, believe me, right away, I will be on the internet, I will be on the phone, researching as much as I can to figure out what these guys do, what I can possibly do to get rid of them, and the most effective treatment. If, when I'm done with my research, I find that there is some localized solution I can do where I'm 100% sure that the termites are just right there and I can do something to get rid of them right there, I may possibly do that. But if there is any doubt at all, then you know what I'm gonna have to do. You've seen the big houses with the tents over them. You have to fumigate the house. You get everybody out of the house. You get everything out of the house that could possibly be poisoned by this gas that's going to be in there. And you have to be out of there for several days. It's a big pain in the neck. But you know what? Who cares? When I get back into that house, those termites have got to be gone. So that is what I should think about my sin. I need to do whatever it takes to remove all trace of it from my life. If I'm doing anything less than that, it's saying to God that I want to keep it around. It's like Jude says in chapter 20 or verse 23 of his letter, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, the sin should be so offensive to me that if there's any object associated with it, I want to get rid of it. I just want to get it out of my life, just like Josiah does with these idols. So now... After cleaning the idols out of the land, let's see what he does next. Let's read verse 8. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land in the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joah, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord, his God. The temple at this point was in a very bad state of repair. After years of idol worship, it was in need of a lot of help. And it was going to take some very serious physical labor to make it useful for people to be able to worship the Lord. in it. among other things, if you read on, you see the floors were all broken up. So there was a lot of work to be done. So Josiah is doing a good work here. But then something completely unexpected happens. Let's start reading in verse 14. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord... Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened, when the king heard the words of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Mekah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asaiah a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. As incredible as it may seem, the book of the law, which contains some or probably all of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, it had been completely lost. The nation had been so given over to idol worship. From Josiah's reaction in verse 21, these are words that he has not heard before. And what he hears hurts a lot. Let's just take an example here, a sample, of what Josiah heard. I'm reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. And just imagine what it, what it sounded like to him. What, what thoughts would have been running through his head as he heard these words read? This is Moses speaking to the children of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the lord your god to provoke him to anger i call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the jordan to possess you will not prolong your days in it but will be utterly destroyed and the lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the lord will drive you and there you will serve go- serve gods the work of men's hands wood and stone which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. And he's seeing that fulfilled in front of him. This is what the people are doing. But there is hope. I'll read on one more verse. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. So the Lord holds out hope. But at this point, Josiah sees what's happening right now. He knows the people are in the land right now, and he sees the judgment which the Lord has said will come. And he knows it must come now. He knows how much the people have forgotten the Lord. He knows what state the nation is in. But he, know, he accepts what God has done, what God will do as right and just. It is God's word. He's like a believer who's been away from the Lord. And then he repents of whatever sin he's been in turns back to the Lord and he gets out his Bible from wherever it's been from months ago and he put it there, takes it out, dusts it off and opens it up and he reads it again and he's reading it now with different eyes. He's tender to the Lord as Josiah was. He's willing to accept whatever the Lord may have for him. It may hurt. It may not be pleasant. But he's going to do it. He wants to serve the Lord more than anything. And with Josiah, the Lord is rich in mercy. We know that he is. And we'll see what happens. Start reading in verse 26. What happened was, Josiah had sent these people to find out the, the word of the Lord. And they had gone to a prophetess in Jerusalem. And this is what she said to them, the word of the Lord regarding Josiah. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And you humbled yourselves yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. The judgment on the nation must come. The sin is just too great. But God is going to delay it. It's not going to come during Josiah's lifetime. While he is alive, he will see the nation in the land. So now, Josiah has the word of the Lord, as precious as it is. So what does he do with it? Well, it's so wonderful to have it, but there's also a responsibility associated with it. It is important to show it to everyone else, and he wants everyone to hear it. So let's see what he does. Read verses 29 through 32. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small. And he read it in their hearing, all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book and he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand so the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the, to the covenant of God the God of their fathers he called everyone together and he read them the whole book I wonder how it sounded to hear him He recognized how great a book it was. This is not just some human document that he's reading. It's God's word. And even more than that, it's God's word to us. He wants to show us what's right and what's wrong. He wants to show us how we should live our lives, how we should serve him. I wonder what emphasis Josiah put in what places. And I wonder what he had seen in the Lord's word that he wanted to pass on to these people so that, they, so that he wanted them to understand And when he's finished, he makes a covenant to follow the Lord. It's not like he's doing this because he just wants to make a show for the people. It's what is his heart's desire. He's just stating what's already there. He he wants to follow the Lord and he wants the people to know. Unfortunately, the people don't have the same love for the Lord that Josiah does. They do take a stand in verse 32. And with some of them, it was probably genuine. We'll see, reading on here, what they do. But most of them did it only because, in verse 32, because he made, he made them. It's only because they were forced into it, to some extent. It's a reminder that I can hear God's word, hear God's word so plainly and still refuse to obey it. It's my choice. So is Josiah's reaction the reaction that I have to the word of the Lord? Do I keep it as the first priority in my life? Does it take precedence over everything else so that whatever the Lord wants, I do? Now, Josiah has cleaned out the land. He has God's word, but there's still a major step that he hasn't taken. He has removed everything that's wrong, but he hasn't yet replaced it with what's good. So let's read, starting chapter 35, verse 1, and see what he does. Now Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the fourteenth day of the first month. And he set the priests in their duties and encouraged them for the service of the house of the Lord. Then he said to the Levites who taught all Israel, who were holy to the Lord, Put the holy ark in the house which Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, built. It shall no longer be a burden on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Down to verse 6. So slaughter the Passover offerings, consecrate yourselves, and prepare them for your brethren, that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. You see, there are activities that have been neglected during the time that the nation's been away from the Lord. and They need to be started up again. And specifically, as Josiah read through, the book of the law, he saw the Passover, and he knew the Lord wanted it done. So he gathers everyone together, tells them everything that needs to be done, and sets the work going. And in the same way, there are things that we should be doing that get neglected when we're away from the Lord, things that they are just distasteful to us when we're not in close fellowship with the Lord, things like coming to meetings of the church, or giving to the work of the Lord. Or witnessing, they just kind of get dropped and they kind of fade away after a while. But when we return to the Lord, there should be a heartfelt desire to really get back into these things, to start serving the Lord again, and a real joy in being able to serve Him. It's like David said in Psalm 51. This is after he had confessed his sin with Bathsheba. And he he had confessed it and he was right with the Lord again. He said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. He wanted again to start talking to people who didn't know the Lord and start uh, showing them how great the Lord was. Now, there's quite a bit of detail here regarding the Passover. There's actually 19 verses of it. I'd like to read a few here and just pick out a theme, see if we can notice something that's repeated here. So, uh, starting verse 6. So slaughter the Passover offerings, consecrate yourselves and prepare them for your brethren, that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Verse 12. Then they removed the burnt offerings that they might give them to the divisions of the fathers' houses of the lay people to offer to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses. And so they did with the cattle. And on to verse 16. So all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. The theme here is that they were doing everything they could to do it the way God had specifically instructed. Verse 6, according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Verse 12, as it is written in the book of Moses. Verse 16, it's not specifically written, but... All the service of the Lord was prepared the same day, which is exactly the way the Lord had written it in the, in, back in the book of the law. And it was quite, a, quite a, a task to get it done all in one day. They were doing it, not because they wanted to just do some rote practice that was written down, but they were showing their love for the Lord. They, wanted, they they're showing their love by doing it the way that he had instructed. Everything they could find to do it the way that he wrote, they were doing and we should pause here to remember what the Passover is. Because it's a reminder that just following the Lord, as Josiah and the people had been doing here, as good as it is, is not enough. The Passover was a commemoration for the children of Israel of the time that God had delivered them from the land of Egypt, and also of the time that He had come and killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt of the Egyptians because they had not done what the Israelites had done the Israelites each family had taken a lamb and they had killed that lamb, and taken the blood and put it on the doorposts of their house and God said when I see the blood I will pass over you and this was this Passover was a reminder to the Israelites that payment had to be made for sin they saw the picture They saw the lamb sacrificed for each family. But we see the reality. We see Christ on the cross. And we see what he did for us. If you've never come to know the Lord, there is a much more important first step you have to take before you can begin to follow the Lord. And that is to confess that you're a sinner. To accept his death on the cross as payment for your sin. And then once you've done that, following the one who has saved you from hell is a, it's never a burden. It's always a joy. Now, we come to the only recorded sin in Josiah's life. But it is a serious one, and there are severe consequences. So let's read chapter 35, verses 20 through 24. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him. But he, that's Necho, sent messengers to him, saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself, so that he might fight with him, and did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God. So he came to fight fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. This event that we just read about happened 13 years after the Passover that we read before by this time Josiah has known the Lord for quite a long time and he's done a lot for him and it's interesting to note that nowhere in this passage does Josiah ever request guidance from the Lord based on that and based on what happens as a result his death he's probably become somewhat proud by now he thinks that he's different from other people He's very spiritual, other people aren't quite the same, that whatever he does is always the right thing. And it can happen to us too. We do something great for the Lord, something wonderful happens, some great work, and it is great. But then instead of giving God the glory for it, we think it has something to do with us, that we're so great, when in reality it's only because we submitted to God that, so, that this great thing has happened. And Josiah is in that same position. He goes off on his own. And then Necho sends him this message. And you might think it a little odd, if for no other reason than it's coming from an idolatrous king. But the Lord can use whoever he wants. And in this case, it says in verse 22, the words of Necho from the mouth of God. So God was trying to get his attention. But Josiah didn't pause. He didn't stop to consider it. He just kept on going, and it ended up costing him his life. What a change from earlier in his life. When his heart was tender, when he was ready to hear whatever the Lord had for him, and it's a reminder to us to remain close to the Lord. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. However, even though Josiah committed such a serious sin, this isn't what the Lord focuses on. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 23 and read God's assessment of Josiah's life. I'll read verse 25. 23 2 Kings 23 now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses nor after him did any arise like him with all his heart Josiah lived his life to follow the Lord that was what drove him That was what was most important to him. And then, again, all. All the law of Moses. He recognized God's word as the authority. And whatever was in there, whatever it said, is what he did. What an example for us. And let's live our lives so so that the same could be said about us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us such a shining example from Your Word, someone who dedicated their life to serving You and, Lord, listening to You and wanting to uh, be close to You and follow You. Pray that we may do the same, Lord, and whatever You give us to do, Lord, that that we may do it with all our heart. Pray this in Your name. Amen.